I hope you have your Bibles this morning. Let me encourage you to find 1 Peter chapter number 2. 1 Peter chapter number 2, one thing for sure, we are in a battle. And if we're going to do battle, we definitely need to be doing battle on our knees. And in the summer series that we're in this summer, we're looking at 1 Peter. And in looking at 1 Peter, we see that we've come to the place in chapter number 2 in verse 11 and 12 where Peter is going to talk about this battle that we're in. The battle that we're in is a battle in our culture, and this cultural battle that we're in is for the lost souls of lost people. God has a plan for the world, and that plan is that all would come to repentance. And the way that they do so is that we have been commissioned by God to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. I remember one Saturday a few months ago, I had a situation come up at the house where I heard a knock at the door, and as I went to the door, there was a young adult with some form of autism standing on my front porch. Uh, This individual was upset about a current situation that they were in, and I called one of my sons who was in the house uh, with me, and it was just uh, the two of us, and I said, I would like for you to come out here and and help me with this, and so he came out uh, there with me, and and helped me, and I just kind of asked her I, I, the best I could, and helped her the best that I could, and then I asked her a question. I said, can I ask you something? Why did you come to this house? Uh, because if you've ever been to my house, I, I, I'm, in, I'm in the woods. I, I'm, I'm in the middle of nowhere. You, I, there's no road frontage. Uh, the uh, driveway is, is down deep into the woods. You can't see my house from the road. There are homes all around me. And I said, why did you come here? Why this door? Why my house? There's ten other homes you could have went to. Why did you come here? And the reply was, you're a preacher, right? And I said, yes, I am. And they said just simply this, if you can't help me, I don't think anybody can. Brothers and sisters, the community that you live in, you're influential. You might say, well, I'm not a, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a preacher. You, you are, no, but you're a Christian. And you have the same Holy Spirit living inside of you that I have living inside of me. And this Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us gives us an opportunity to be influential in our communities. The gospel influence is so vitally important when it comes to community. That's why in 1 Peter, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse number 9, for context, Peter says this, but you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We practice what we preach because we have been changed. By the gospel of Jesus Christ, a lost and dying world, they're looking at us. And what they want to know is what you have. Is that real? Or do you just have another religion? Uh, I am convinced. I got a phone call late last night from an individual. and uh, They were sitting in a home of an individ- another individual. And they were having this communication. These folks were, were Catholics. And, and just a couple of days ago, this individual said they were in the home of a Jehovah Witnesses. And they were talking and communicating. And they just said, I, I just never realized, I never realized how lost humanity was. And how desperate people need 
Watch real. They don't need a religion. They need a relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, brothers and sisters, when we come to this passage of Scripture this morning, we see that this is Peter's concern. Peter has a pastoral concern on his heart when we get to verses 11 and 12. Remember, Peter wrote to these local churches in Asia Minor, and, and they needed to know how to live for Jesus Christ in a hostile society. They needed to know how they were to conduct themselves as born-again children of God, living in a culture that was against them. And Peter wants the church also to be in the world, but not be of the world. It is so vitally important that this unbelieving culture know that we are different. And the difference in our lives is the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us. So when you look at verse Peter, you see that evangelism is not the central theme of First Peter. But it's the underlying current that flows throughout the letter. And the church should be a living advertisement for the difference that Jesus Christ makes. Look at the difference Jesus Christ has made. Look at the difference that he's made in you. I think about uh, uh, today the difference that he's made in Ron's life. Uh, Ron, you ought, to, you ought to be gone. You ought to be dead. But God, in his divine sovereignty and his healing, saved you. He saved Ron off a of death's bed. And, and not just physically, but spiritually speaking. I, I remember Ron came to me before he ever went in surgery. And Ron even was sharing with me, he says, Pastor, I just want you to know, I'm going into surgery, going to have this surgery, and not quite sure what the outcome's going to be, but I just want you to know, I know, I know that if I die, I'm going to go to heaven. I know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and Lord. How could someone say that? Because Jesus made a difference in his life. Jesus makes the difference. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through chapter 2, verse 10, in this passage of Scripture, we see that Peter deals with Christian salvation. How a born-again child of God is saved and what that means. And then when you get to chapter 2, verses 13 through chapter 3, verse 12, it's about the Christian submission. So you see that the, the book of 1 Peter can be divided into two parts. The first part is about salvation. The second part is about submission. But when you get to verse 11 and 12, when you get to these two verses, it's almost like it's a bridge between the two. So Peter is done talking about salvation, and now he's going to start talking about submission. And I want you to notice what he says in the text. Notice what the Bible says, beginning in verse number 11. He says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of the Word of God. This passage of Scripture is a pivotal passage. It's a bridge, if you would. Peter argues, if you would, and urges us, his readers, 
to bring our own sinful desires under submission and conduct ourselves in a way that glorifies God. This passage teaches Christians that we are living in a hostile world. Now, let's take this back to 2022 if we could. When we think about the hostile world, we cannot deny the fact that in our culture today, today in 2022, the culture is pushing against Christianity. Uh, I read an article by the Gospel Coalition, a man by the name of George Yancey, he's a, uh, a sociologist and a professor of sociology at Baylor University. He conducted a study on anti-Christian discrimination in America. And he sent out a questionnaire to uh, uh, several progressive activists about how they feel about us, about Christians. So he sent them out, and he wanted to know and get their reply. He wanted to know what exactly, how they felt about Christians. Listen to some of the comments that they said. Here's one of them. Quote, kill them all. Let their God sort them out. End of quote. Number two, quote, a torturous death would be too good for them. End of quote. Number three, listen to this one. Quote, I am only too well aware of their horrific attitudes and belief. Those, uh, and those are enough to make me see them as subhuman. This is what the world thinks about you. The progressive world today thinks that you're subhuman. Remember what Peter talked about. Remember what Peter said in, in chapter 2, verse 10. Look at what the scripture says. He says, Which in times past were not a people, but are now a people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We're living in the same culture. We've got folks today saying we're not even humans. We're subhumans. We shouldn't be classified as humans. Christians ought uh, to be killed. They are God ought to sort them out. The torturous death would not be too good for them. And they're not even humans. They're below humans. That's what the world thinks about your, your faith today. How are we to live? How are we to live in such a way? How do we live in a world that feels this way about us? Well, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12 teaches us how we ought to live privately and publicly. So let's look at our private lives together, and let's look at our public lives together, and let's see just how Peter challenges us today to live in this hostile world. Number one, the first thing I want you to notice is found in verse number 11. He's speaking to us about our private lives, and he simply says, privately, we are to live holy. We are to live Holy. Look at what the Bible says again. He says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. The Christian life is a holy life. It's a separate life. It is a life that has been uh, sanctified. It has been put on a, another level, if you would. Consider the tone of Peter's appeal. It is a loving tone. He addresses his readers as dearly beloved. Oh, dearly beloved, he says. He's trying to communicate and connect with these individuals, these Gentile Christians, if you would, to let them know that they are deeply, deeply loved by God. Brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you today, you are deeply loved by God. 
with this world that is hostile against you, when this world is pushing up against you, with this world that's wanting to do everything it can to shut you up, listen, you are deeply loved by God. Uh, the first time that Peter uses this word, dearly beloved, is right here in this passage of Scripture. In fact, he's going to adopt it as one of his uh, most popular terms, and he's going to say it seven more times throughout these two epistles. And here, in this passage of Scripture, the bond that he's talking about is the bond that we share with Jesus Christ. Peter had not met these individuals. He had not met them uh, personally, but he loved them. And he loved them because they loved Jesus. And more, moreover, the Lord loved them. It's also an urgent tone, however. Peter says, I beseech you. Dearly beloved, I beseech you. That is, I urge you. Uh, this is communicating to us that holiness is not a secondary issue in the Christian life. It's a matter of utmost importance. Uh, you might say, well, wait a minute, preacher. When I look at this passage of Scripture, I don't see the term holiness. I don't see holiness here in this passage. I, I beg your pardon. Look at verse number 9 for context again. He tells us very clearly, he says, But you, you born-again children of God, you Gentile Christians, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of Him who've called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. This is the second time he's used this term holy. He used it again in verse number 5. So contextually the topic is holiness at its very root. And so the question we've got to answer is when we get to verse 11, who has called us to be holy? God. God has called us to be holy through His Son, Jesus Christ. And how do we cultivate that holiness? That's what Peter talks about in verse number 11. He talks about cultivating this holiness. And he says, if you want to cultivate the holiness in your life, there are three things. There are three things that you must know. There are three ways to cultivate holiness in our lives. Number one, the first thing he talks about is he says you have got to accept kingdom citizenship. You must accept kingdom citizenship. Uh, look at what the Bible says again. He says, dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. We are strangers in this world. We are pilgrims in this world. Uh, the word strangers means to live beside the house. It is to live in a place that's not your home. The term pilgrim is uh, it's a synonym for uh, this issue of strangers. Your Bible might even say a, a sojourner. That is to say a resident alien. This world is not your home. These terms describe the spiritual and social condition of Peter's readers. That is to say that they were not in their home. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you as a born-again child of God, this world is not your home. The things that go on in this world ought to bother us. The things that happen in this world ought to not sit right with us. Why? Because God said, we are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a people of God's own possession. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. That's why Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, 
we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christians have this dual citizenship that you and I have to live under. We are United States citizens, but we're also citizens of heaven. And when we think about this dual citizenship, we've got to understand that dual citizenship is not equal citizenship. Our worship is for Jesus Christ. Our allegiance is to Jesus Christ. And the allegiance we have to this country is surpassed by the allegiance we have to Jesus. We love Jesus more. We don't worship the founding documents. We don't worship the founding fathers. We don't worship the flag. We don't worship the structure of authority. We don't worship the President of the United States. We worship God. So our allegiance to God is over the allegiance that we have to this country. We worship heaven's king. We obey heaven's laws. We serve heaven's agenda. We proclaim heaven's message. We seek heaven's re reward. To live on earth as citizens of heaven will result in alienation every single time. We're aliens. This world is not our home. And because we're aliens, we've got to clearly understand as a dual citizenship alien, a citizen of heaven, but also a citizen of this world, we cannot ultimately withdraw ourselves from society. We can't come into this place and say, well, let's just let it be us four and no more. No, we've got to leave this place, go out into the community, and be a light to Jesus Christ. But it should not surprise us when the false value system of our culture is at war with our value system. And my, please be mindful, brothers and sisters. We're at war. There is a war going on for the souls of mankind. And the false value system of this world can be classified in many different ways. You think about it just for a minute. Think about the value system of this culture that we live in. The value system that we have in this culture concerning marriage. Does this culture hold to a value system on marriage that lines up with the Word of God? No. How about this? Does the value system of our culture regarding homosexuality or LGBTQ plus those, the other letters, does that value system line up with the Word of God? No. What about the value system in regards to just everyday uh, language? Let's take language for an example. Uh, the vulgarities that are out there. You, you can't even watch a 30-minute program on anything without the vulgarities coming through the television. Is that the value system that we see in the Word of God? Uh, what about this? What about the cohabitation that exists in our culture today before marriage? I'm just asking the question. I, I, look, people get upset and they get mad at me because I'm just telling you. I, I'm just saying, let's look at the Bible, put ourselves under it, and see if we line up with it. The culture does not line up with the book. And we've got to make a decision. Are we going to line up with this? Or are we going to line up with the world? 
And so Peter says, listen, if you are going to line up with Jesus, then there has to be a, a dedicated, sincere acceptance that you are, are a kingdom citizen of heaven. You are heaven's citizen, and because you are heaven's citizen, you understand that those laws, the laws that God has written in your heart, grace, love, mercy, peace, all of these fruits of the Spirit that come out of us, these are things that we listen to, knowing that we respect the laws of the land and render to Caesar what is Caesar. But when it comes to conflict, I'm going with Jesus. Number two, he says, here's the second thing. He says, not, not only privately, if you're going to live holy, do you need to accept kingdom citizenship, but he says, you also need to practice inward purity. Practice inward purity. Look at what the Bible says in verse 11. This is a tough one. Follow along with me if you can. He says, abstain from youthful, or abstain from fleshly lusts. Uh, here he talks about this purity that we are to practice inside of us. He tells us that we are to abstain. The word abstain means to hold yourself away from something. It's, it's, a, it's more of a renunciation, if you would, and than it is a rejection. M meaning the pleasures of this world do not satisfy the hunger of the soul. Uh, th that is to say that as a born-again child of God, I know that alcohol cannot fulfill the need that I have for a relationship with God. Uh, what I'm saying is, as a born-again child of God, if I need to decompress, that, that decompression is done by the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of me and not the liquor inside that bottle. Uh, look, look at your neighbor and say, uh-oh. Uh, look at the other day, everyone say, it's, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. And the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us gives us what we need to live a pure and holy life. Holiness is not cultivated by seeing how close you can come to temptation without sinning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 says this, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22 says, Abstain from every form of evil. Peter says, Abstain from the passions of the flesh. We see here that it's a command that is emphasized on a continual basis. It is a habitual activity that is personally given to us. He says, look, you've got to personally Every single day, put your flesh in check. This is not a let go and let God situation. This is you understanding that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. You clearly see the difference between right and wrong. And you choose to do right. You choose to go after God. You choose to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. By the Spirit's enabling help, we can and must abstain from these sinful desires. The term lust here in this passage of Scripture is actually a neutral term, and it is a strong desire and a strong passion for things that are outside 
the will of God. So what does that mean? Let me go back to my illustration of cohabitation. The culture says you can live together before you're married. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13 that you cannot do that. The Bible says that is not accurate. That is not right. The Bible says that you need to be married if you're going to be living together. The Bible clearly says in Proverbs chapter 20 verse 1 that wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging and he that participates in that is not wise. I'm not trying to be on my high horse. I'm just trying to lay down a biblical principle that if you're going to practice inward purity, there are decisions that you're going to have to make. Just because you're born again and saved doesn't mean you're automatically going to do the right thing. You still have inside of you these two natures that are at war with each other. And whichever one you feed, that's the one that's going to take residence up in your house. So he says here in the text, he says, you've got to practice this inward purity, this iniquity that's inside, uh, that's driving you, has to stop. There are many today that are promoting behavioral uh, uh, abstinence. Let me say this. True godliness works from the inside out. If you follow the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, your behavior will change. Whatever's in the heart is going to come out the mouth. Whatever's in the heart is going to come out the hands. Whatever's in the heart is going to come out the feet. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says this, Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. The spring will not be pure if the source is not pure. So here's what I'm asking you today. I'm asking you to check your heart. Is your heart pure? Are there sinful lusts, sinful desires that are rising, uh, raising their ugly heads inside your heart? How's your devotion time? How's your quiet time? How's your time with Jesus? How's your prayer time? Psalm chapter 139, the psalmist said this in verse 23. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. And try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of understanding. Oh, brothers and sisters, I, I challenge you today. Privately, live a holy life. For out of it, for out of it, we will see the fruit. Peter says, Privately, we're going to live holy. We're going to accept our kingdom citizenship. We've got to practice inward purity. But watch this. There's a third thing very quickly. He says we've got to understand this spiritual attack. Understand the spiritual attack. Did you see what he says there in verse 11? Look, look at what he says about this. He says, Dearly beloved, Oh, dear sweet people of God that I love so much, I'm urging and begging you as strangers and aliens from a foreign land, resist... With your own ability, resist these fleshly lusts. And you can do that with the power of the Holy Spirit because they war against the soul. There is a war going on 
in your soul. And so he says, you've got to understand spiritual attacks. If you want to privately live a holy life, you've got to understand a spiritual attack. The flesh represents our relationship to sin. The soul represents our relationship to God. First Peter 1.9 says, the outcome of our faith is the salvation of our souls. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The remaining sin wars are against our soul. Does that mean you can lose your salvation? No, Peter never said that. What Peter's saying here is there is a war going on inside of you every single day. Paul put it this way. He said, the things that I want to do, those are the things I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I do. I'm saved, but oh, what a wicked man that I am. Who will rescue me from the body of this sin? I tell you who will rescue us. It's going to be God. God is going to rescue us. We were saved when we received Jesus Christ as our Savior. We are being saved, and we will ultimately be saved when we stand in God's presence. But until that time, the dash between our birthday and death date, there is a war going on every single day. And the devil wants you so bad. To turn your back on God, to walk away from church, to walk away from your quiet time, to walk away from your uh, church attendance, to walk away from everything. And Peter is saying, listen, the culture is pushing against you, and that war is in your soul. And you can win that battle by trusting the Lord. And walking with him every day. We have three enemies of the soul. The devil is our infernal enemy. The world is our external enemy. And the flesh is our internal enemy. Peter's not talking about the world here or the devil here. He's talking about the civil war that's inside of us. The flesh is a playground for the unbeliever. And it is a battleground for the believer. The flesh presents sinful desires to you as innocent, harmless, pleasurable. But in reality, the flesh is waging war against your soul. Matthew chapter 16 verse 26 says this, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? This is not a hand-to-hand battle. This is not a hand-to-hand combat. This is a prolonged military campaign. For the rest of your life, you're going to wake up and the devil is going to look at you and he's going to do everything in his power to discourage you and to bring you down and to tell you you're no good. It is a war every single day, but greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. So what I'm saying is this war that's going on, it's because we're dual citizenship, Peter says. And it is our responsibility as born-again children of God to understand this spiritual attack. Because in understanding it, we can get the victory. I've read the end of the book. The end of the book, we win. We win. And so Peter says in regards to this issue of living in this hostile world, he says, listen church, privately, privately live holy. And then he talks about publicly very quickly in verse number 12. He says, publicly, here's the second part, publicly live honorably. Publicly live 
honorably. In verse 12, this transition verse transitions from our private life to our public life. And the question is how? How do we live honorably? How do we do this? There are two things here in the text that are worthy of pointing out. Number one, we've got to control our daily conduct. Control our daily conduct. Look at what he says in verse number 12. He says, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. Two things here that are worthy of our attention. Number one is the term conversation. That word conversation is where we get our English word conduct. The way that we present ourselves, our conduct. He says, many of you, uh, how many of you remember growing up in school getting a conduct grade? Buzzard, did you get all A's in your conduct grade? No comment. Okay, all right. So he says here in this text, he says, having your conduct honest among the Gentiles. Uh, This term honest here is uh, keeping uh, in the true fashion of the word that people look at us and see us as innocent. Notice what the scripture says. He says, make sure you do this among the Gentiles. This word Gentiles uh, is a reference to nations. Remember, he said that you, this church, he's writing to to a a Gentile church. He says, you are a holy nation. You're a royal priesthood. You are God's children. And the Gentiles, that is the nations that are surrounding you, live honest in front of them. Live in such a way that your conduct is honorable. Christian conduct is the key theme in the remainder of this letter. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 15 says, Be holy in all your conduct. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 1 and 2 says, The respectful and pure conduct of believing wives can win their disobedient husbands even without a word. 1 Peter 3.16 says, Good conduct in Christ will put shame to those who revile us. Peter says our conduct among the Gentiles should be honorable. It carries the idea of visible goodness. Peter's saying here in the text that we should be doing visibly good. There ought to be this visible goodness that people ought to see inside of us. Uh, This week I was visiting the hospital. Uh, I walked into the hospital and I, I... uh, you got to sign in twice now at the ER. I signed in the first time, and then I went over to the desk, and I said, Hello, I said, I'm here uh, to see, and I called the individual's name, and uh, this guy was typing on the computer, and he looked up at me, and he sat back. Now, uh, the, 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 the room is full. The room is full of people. I mean, the, the emergency room, I mean, just slammed full from wall to wall. People standing up everywhere. And I'm, and I'm just there, and I'm, I'm, I don't have a suit on. I got on blue jeans, a polo shirt, my little name tag that they just gave me, saying that I don't have COVID, that my temperature's right. And he, he pulls back, he looks at me, and he says, uh, you're a preacher. And I said, it's the hair, Right? And he smiled and laughed. He says, no, it's not the hair. But I see it in your eyes. What does that mean? He says, you're here to see a church member, aren't you? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, there's some people back there uh, right now. And I said, uh, I said uh, that, that, that's okay. I said, I can wait. He said, no, you're not waiting. He said, you got privileges 
You can go back. Here's where they're at. I don't guess I need to show you how to get there. Thank you, Pastor, for loving hurting people. Now, this guy is sitting at this desk, and he'll be sitting there for 12 hours. And he'll be filling things out. Filling out paperwork, looking at people all day long. What in the world would possess him to pull back and look me up and down and then make comments such as that? Unwarranted? I like to fly below the radar. You know, one of my favorite things is when I'm having a conversation with individuals and and they're just, I mean, look, you're talking to them and all of a sudden they just, they go on this big cussing spree. And I just sit there. And then when they're all done, they say, well, hey, what do you do? And I say, well, I'm a pastor. And then they get all beat red and ashamed. And they say, oh, I, you know, I normally don't talk like that. I wrote this note down. I'm out of time, but, but listen to this comment. We impact society by infiltration, not isolation. It would be very easy for us as born-again children of God to isolate ourselves within these four walls. We come together every week, multiple times a week, and we're together in fellowship. We're together in, in the Word of God. We're together. We're being together. And we love each other. We don't have to worry about someone cussing. We don't have to worry about someone saying something bad or off color or ugly or whatever. And, 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 we, and we're grateful for that. We're grateful for that. But in order to get the gospel out of this place and into this lost world, we've got to associate ourselves with other people. So Peter is, is challenging the church here. He's challenging the church saying, make sure your conduct is honest among the Gentiles. When you're in Walmart, act like a Christian. Act like Jesus lives and act like you're somebody. If somebody cuts you off, act like you're somebody. Don't contradict the bumper sticker on the back of your car. That's a good place for an amen right there, by the way. I, that one just, it flew through. It really, it flew through. So that was a good one. Uh, look at verse 12 again. Look, look at what he says. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles. Make sure it's honest. It's honorable. Because good works needs to be shown to them. You see that there in the text? He says there in the, in, in, the, in the latter part of the text, he says that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. The Bible tells us here in the text that our conduct ought to produce good works to lost people, to a lost and dying world. We ought to be doing good to them. So, preachers, does that mean i got to give that bum money? If God says so, you better. Well, even if i got a problem, I mean, they're just going to walk right over to the liquor store, and, and, and they're going to they're do it. What, what, you mean God said just hand them a, a money and not talk to them? No, no, you better listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say. Let your conduct be one that comes out of you that produces good works for the glory of God. 
of God, he tells us here in the text, control your daily conduct and control it for the better. Number two, in, in closing, he says, you also must comprehend the outcome. You've got to understand the outcome when it comes to dealing <clears throat> with a lost culture and a lost society. He says this. Notice what the Bible says in verse 12. He says that, whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. He says in the text, whereas they speak against you. You see that there? Some of your Bibles say, so that when they speak against you. That, that's, the, that's the meaning of this term, whereas. So he's saying here in this passage of Scripture, if I could paraphrase, he says, keep your conduct honest among the Gentiles so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. We should practice honorable conduct because of what unbelievers see and say. What do they see and say? What do unbelievers say? The Bible says that they are going to say you're an evildoer. Have you ever in, before in your life thought you'd see a newscast where Christians are being put on the stand of public opinion and saying, you're the problem. Abortion is right, they say. And you Christians are the ones that messed it up. I beg your pardon. We as born-again children of God are only trying to practice what the Word of God says. And we want our conduct to be honorable among all men. I am against. It's not right. It, it, to have, I, I, what, what's the name of that church that goes and protests when, uh, when soldiers pass away? That crazy church, you know what I'm talking about? That is against God's Word. That's against what's going on here. We're to be showing the love of Jesus. And when you show the love of Jesus, the Bible says... When they speak against you as evildoers, they're going to speak against you as evildoers. This is why it's so important that we stay clean and close. We stay clean of sin and close to Jesus Christ. Here, he's warning that persecution will always come to Christians and it'll be verbal before it's physical. The growing hatred for Christians can be seen very easy all over social media and the web. Not only do we see what the lost world say, says, but we also see what the lost world sees. Did you see what happened here in the text? Look at the latter part. In the latter part of the, Bi the Bible, the Scripture says here in the text. It says, when they see your good works after they call you an evildoer, they will behold, or they shall behold, glory to God. They shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Many scholars believe this is talking about how your good works towards a lost and dying world will win others to Jesus Christ. I saw a news article on some Christian news outlets where one of the head uh, uh, Satanists has come to know Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and Lord. How, how is that? Because Christianity is one that shows how you could have a relationship with God. And that relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. And the good deeds that Christians offer promote society in such a way that it glorifies the God of heaven. 
Let them see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation, the day of their judgment or the day of their salvation. In the Old Testament, this term typically refers to divine judgment, but Luke chapter 1, verse 7, 78 associates it with tender mer- the tender mercies of God. Luke 19.44 war- warns of the consequences of not repenting and believing in the time of visitation. There will be a final day of visitation. However, before the Lord visits in His judgment, He always visits in His mercy. And so I say to you today, dear friend, in regards to this bridge that we're finding in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Peter says, Dearly beloved Christians, brothers and sisters in Jesus, live privately so that your lives are holy before God, knowing that you're a kingdom citizen that practices internal purity because you understand the spiritual attack that's at war in your soul. So that when you go out in public, verse 12, that your public demonstration will be honorable to all men, that they may see your good works. So whether you're in Walmart or Quality Foods or, or, or Target or wherever you are, the hospital, they say, hey, there's something different about you. What is it? It's not because you go to Maysville. That's not the reason. It's not uh, because you're enrolled in Sunday school. That's not the reason. It's not because you're a preacher. No. It's because you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Can I ask you this question, dear friend? Does the Holy Spirit live inside of you? Does the words of God today resonate in your heart? Do you see the dichotomy between the culture today and the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of a believer today? Do you see the war that transpires and takes place? If you see that, my question to you is this. Who's winning the war for your soul? I'm not talking about losing your salvation. The Bible says you can never lose your salvation. I'm talking about born-again children of God that throw up their hands and say, what's the use? What's the use? And they walk away with their heads down. Instead of living by the Word of God, knowing that we get the victory in the end. Is our culture in a bad spot? Yes. Do we need revival? Yes, 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 yes. But what this world needs to see is someone that's truly in love with Jesus whose life has been changed by the glory of God. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so very much for this opportunity we've had to be together. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, uh, for Peter and his Word. As we go into this hymn of invitation now, I do pray that you would challenge our hearts to respond accordingly to the Scriptures. Lord, there may be some here today that does not know you as their personal Savior and Lord. They've never truly trusted Jesus Christ. I pray today would be the day that they receive Jesus as Savior. 
then there may be others that are here today that are born again. They are Christians. They are uh, believers. But Lord, they're struggling with their personal holiness. Lord, maybe they're caught up in some sin. Maybe pornography. Maybe alcohol. Maybe extramarital affairs. Maybe their language is not becoming of a Christian. Lord, maybe, Lord Jesus, you've just pressed on their hearts that they need to get right with you. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, whether we call it a rededication, a fresh dedication, a new dedication, whatever we call it, I pray that you do a work in your people during this invitation. And may we respond accordingly for your glory. Thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Now, before I say amen, maybe you're here and maybe you've never trusted Christ as Savior. I want to give you that opportunity today. If you're here and you'd like to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, from your heart to God's heart, would you say something like this to the Lord? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Messiah. And This morning, I ask you to save me. The best that I know how, I turn from my sin and repent of my sin. And I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.